Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Think about the environments that light people up the most and that create the most motivation. And if we are going to sort of pick an ideal environment that does that, I would say it's a skateboard park. Like kids go to a skateboard park and they get really, really good at skateboarding in a short amount of time. You know, it, it, it is incredibly, incredibly motivating uh, for certain kids. Why? You know, why? If we could teach algebra like kids learn to skateboard in a skateboard park, we'd be really, really good at algebra, right? Mm -hmm. But what are the ingredients of that environment, of that learning space? And the ingredients seem to be these vivid models of what you want to be. Not of like who you admire, but of the dude you want to become, mm -hmm. right? Of I, I don't just like admire that skateboarder. I want to do that trick and I want to be as cool as him you know, in every way. I want to be that guy. Um, and so when that identity piece gets put into the, into the equation, I think that lightning is a lot more likely to strike. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Dan, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it is really cool to have you here. You know, I came across your story by way of our mutual friend, Mike Rohde, who was a, a former guest here on The Unmistakable Creative, and I knew of your work. And uh, so it's, you know, a real pleasure to have you here. Uh, for our listeners, can you tell us a, a bit about yourself, your story, uh, your journey, your background, and how that has led you to this unique perspective that you have on talent? It's funny. I guess you could sum it up in 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 a quick word, which is Alaska. I'm a kid from Alaska. And that growing up there has its own sort of set of unique qualities, one of which is that you're sort of an outsider a lot of places. Um, you know, we, we were raised there, moved there when I was three, was raised there since 1968. And so whenever we came to visit America, or lower 48 as we called it, it, it kind of gave me a new way of looking at things and a new curiosity about things that people in the lower 48 sort of took for granted. You know, how come things are this way? Why is this way? And I was fascinated by by sports, by skill, by performance. And um, that has always kind of fueled me, along with having two brothers, each of which are less than a year away from me. So I grew up in a, in a family of uh, where everybody was sort of competing for stuff. And, and with that kind of outsider point of view, where I was sort of looking at, at performance and at people um, sort of saying, oh, that's pretty interesting. How could I how could I learn how, what they do? You know, how could I understand it better? Mm-hmm. And then after that, I, uh, I ended up sort of going to, going to school down here and then ended up as a, as a career, was about to be a doctor, was very close to becoming a doctor and, and switched at the last minute into, into journalism, particularly interested in science and interested in sports. And I ended up working at a really crazy magazine called outside magazine that covers all of that stuff. 
and um, did a series, started as a writer doing a series of, of, of stories that all kind of, ref- all, all magazine stories, all narratives end up revolving around like why somebody's really good. If you're writing about a politician, if you're writing about a musician, if you're writing about a skier, you're always revolving around those questions. And so I started seeing patterns in the responses, whether it was a you know, backcountry skier or a politician or a musician or anything. And I got interested in exploring that more and more deeply, um, you know, both in my own life and also in my work. And I, it sort of led me. You know, one day I got this newspaper clip about a uh, – back when there were newspaper clips. Do you remember those days? Mm-hmm. And um, it was about a, a tennis club called Spartak, uh, which was in Moscow, and it had produced, uh, I think, uh, you know, five times more top twenty women players than, than in the entire United States out of this one club. And I found out a little more, did a little more research and digging, found out that they had one indoor court. So basically, this place with one indoor court was producing way more tennis champions than the entire United States. And I had to go there. Um, and I started, uh, that was my first visit to a talent hotbed. And I started, there are these places around the globe that are just like that in music and math and art and sports. Um, and so I started visiting a series of those, uh, and looking at the patterns of behavior that connect them, looking at what they're doing on the ground and looking at what's motivating them and looking at how they're being taught. And so, um, that was kind of the basis of my book, the talent code that, uh, you know, normally when you're, I guess it came out a few years ago, but the, the conversations that are, that it started are still sort of, still sort of happening. I guess that's why it brought us right to this moment. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. You know, I, I always wonder about people's childhoods. You mentioned that the byproduct of growing up uh, in Alaska uh, was this different way of looking at things, this natural tendency to ask why, to question things. You think that that is something that can be learned and developed, this ability to question what appears to be the status quo? Or do you think some people are just inherently capable of it? I think some people get a better platform to do that. It's just, it's just the way it is um, because of the environment, because of the difference in the environment from where they come and where they go. New York City is filled with those people. Yeah. Uh, you know, most people who succeed in New York are not born in New York. They're, they're from Omaha, actually, most of them. And so they, uh, they come there and they absolutely perceive things more deeply, um, try harder, uh, don't take things for granted, upset the status quo. Um, and, and there's sort of the classic outsider arc. Um, and I think some of that is sort of irreplaceable. Are there ways to kind of make us make ourselves outsiders to sort of jog those, those neurons and wake those up a little bit? I think there, I think there are, I think travel is a wonderful way to do that. Um, finding ways to kind of pull out of your, of your, of your daily routine, uh, make a, making a habit of giving yourself sort of the eyes of an outsider are, uh, are useful and pursuing a wide variety of, of skills is another way to do it. I came across a really crazy stat the other day that said that Nobel prize winners are 22 times more likely to have an artistic habit, like to play the violin or to, to paint than, than the rest of science scientists, which is an incredible notion that they're routinely sort of dipping themselves in these other domains and, and building this repertoire of connections. If creativity is connections, then immersing yourself in a, in a variety of domains, uh, on all of which you're sort of an outsider, I guess you could say, allow you to look back across domains and connect ideas across domains that, um, that fuel creativity. So um, I don't think it is necessarily uh, you know, a prerequisite to be an outsider, but, but, can, but it sure helps. 
A, and B, can we build sort of these outsider habits in our lives? And I think that that Nobel Prize winning thing, statistic, would suggest that, yeah, you bet, we can. So when you look back at, you know, childhood mentors, people, I mean, were there certain inflection points or moments that you think ultimately led you down this path of journalism and, you know, studying success, you know, prior to some of the ones that you've mentioned, like early on in your life, people, uh, like mentors, influencers? Huge. Yeah. I mean, you know, one domain, they were, you know, wonderful writers, you know, books that you read and it just took the top of your head off. You know, you couldn't believe it was real. Tom Wolfe, The Right Stuff was that book for me. Um, Seeing, you know, reading that and knowing that someone had put it together and someone had the privilege, you know, the story of the astronauts and the space program in the 60s and Chuck Yeager. And if anybody hasn't read it, I highly recommend it because it's amazing. But um, that, that sort of woke me up. Um, And I was really fortunate you know, Anchorage, Alaska is a, is a, is a pretty, pretty diverse, interesting place. Nobody there is from there. You know, Alaska is a place where people are either running away from something or running to something. So there's a lot of really, I was lucky enough to have a lot of great teachers. Um, and a couple in particular stood out, you know, one was a, a coach that I had who was this guy, uh, Gordon Spidel. He was a, he was a baseball coach. He's, was really this quiet guy. I can't remember anything he ever told me. Like I can't really recall any knowledge he imparted or anything, but I could remember sort of the way he made me feel and the way he made the team feel. And he was an incredibly successful coach. He was a milkman, actually. That was his daily job as a milkman coach, and which gave his afternoons free to coach baseball. And uh, it was it was he really stayed with me. It's like wow, what was that all about? Like here's this guy. He's really quiet. Um, you know, he doesn't. He's mild. Um, he's you know not sort of the image of a general Patton or a charismatic leader um, in any way, but he's having this profound effect on on my learning, on the success of this team, on this little culture we're creating on a baseball field. How does he do that? You know, he was always sort of this magical figure to me. So that kind of a that kind of a teacher was really lucky to bump into, and I would say very formative. You know, that feeling uh, of being awake from reading something like the right stuff. Uh, I've, I've asked people this question in numerous forms. I'm curious why so many people miss that in their lives. Cause I, I, I kind of wonder if I ever found it, mm-hmm. um, you know, in some ways I feel like I've ended up here very accidentally getting to write books and do the things that I'm doing now. But I don't think I could pinpoint a moment like that in my life. And, you know, given the perspective that you have, I'm curious why you think it's so overlooked. Well, I don't think it always happens to everybody. I think, you know, I would, I would, it's almost an ignition, right? And, yeah. and like any ignition, you have the right, you need to have the right conditions for lightening the form. Um, it won't always form, you know. Um, but when it does, when you've got sort of the right, um, the right sort of environment and, I mean, one way to think about that question is, is, you know, think about the environments that light people up the most and that create the most motivation. And if we are going to sort of pick an ideal environment that does that, I would say it's a skateboard park. Like kids go to a skateboard park and they get really, really good at skateboarding in a short amount of time. You know, it, it, it is incredibly, incredibly motivating uh, for certain kids. Why? You know, why? If we could teach algebra like kids learn to skateboard in a skateboard park, we'd be really, really good at algebra, right? Mm-hmm. But what are the ingredients of that environment, of that learning space? And the ingredients seem to be these vivid models of what you want to be. Not of like who you admire, but of the dude you want to become, mm-hmm. right? 
of, I, I don't just like admire that skateboarder. I want to do that trick and I want to be as cool as him, you know, in every way. I want to be that guy. Um, and so when that identity piece gets put into the, into the equation, I think that lightning is a lot more likely to strike. Um, and the other element that that place has, of course, is tons of repetition and failure and, and struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you fall off the skateboard a lot when you're first starting out and you don't have a coach sort of telling you what to do. You're figuring it out yourself. So there's a lot of ownership. So this feeling of like you're struggling on your own in a, in a sort of a tough environment, you know, that, but right around the edge of that environment is this enchanted circle of people who are awesome and who you want to be and you want to join that circle you know you just don't you just don't want to sort of get a little better or get good to please your parents or achieve some level of competency you want to be somebody and that to me is the ingredient where you find that that moment where somebody says oh my god I mean, it's kind of funny last night my wife and i went to see bruce springsteen um, and I had never seen him before. And, you know, I like his music. He's, and she loves his music. She might love it a little, love him a little too much. Um, <laughs> he's very lovable. Um, and I was, I, before the concert, I was reading this, you know, great profile of him. And it started with this scene of young Bruce. Um, you know, it was, it was this amazing story written by David Remnick in the New Yorker. And it has a scene of Bruce Springsteen in his kitchen. Um, and he's like 10 and on the TV comes Elvis Presley. And he is like, blown away. Now, Bruce is from kind of a dysfunctional home. He's got all kinds of issues with his dad. Um, uh, but he looks at Elvis and, and he goes to, to his mother. He says, that is who I want to be. Like, that's me. That is it for me. And you can actually connect the dots between like that incredible moment where this kid has that happen. And, you know, this, this concert that we saw last night, you know, that, that lightning strikes. And if you keep that fuel tank filled and, and keep sort of struggling in the right ways. I mean, it's incredible what, what level of kind of competency and and talent that can be built, but it all starts like, what if he had been on a different channel that night, you know, or, or what if he, what if that, would that have happened anyway at some point? Maybe so, you know, maybe, maybe it would have, but, um, when you look at the way talent hotbeds grow, a lot of times you do have these igniting events, you know, you have Anna Kornikova, a Russian tennis player who succeeds. And then the next year there's three good Russians. The next year there's eight good Russians. The next year there's 12. And, you know, you have Suri Pak, a great Korean golfer. And the next year you've got more and more and more and more and more. So this moment of putting someone in the windshield, we can think of it as that, you know, staring at someone in your windshield, who you connect with, who your identity connects with. um, That is, that's incredibly powerful. And we can't, you, you might be able to seed the clouds a little bit, you know, but yeah. it's hard to make that lightning strike. But that's interesting because that was actually going to be my next question. So this raises actually two questions for me, um, especially because you mentioned algebra and you compared it to skateboarding, uh, which raises a question about education uh, and what your perspective is on education, given, you know, what you know about talent and how it develops. Um, and then, you know, the other one, I think, which, it, it, you know, in some ways, maybe you've answered is can you create the conditions for lightning to strike? Or can you put yourself in the way of lightning striking? Yeah, I think you can help. I think you can help things along. You know, and one great example of helping things along is the way YouTube has affected the music world. Mm -hmm. You know, when you talk to musicians across the board, you know, classical, jazz, whatever, they will all point to the moment of YouTube as being this huge force where all of a sudden you've got kids who can stare at some solo or some, some other kid across the globe playing some, some song they want to play and then watch them play it over and over 
like in slow motion and, 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 and look at it and learn it and practice it and really have this feeling of being able to fill your windshield with this person that you want to become, you know, this solo that you want to build. And it's been a huge, you know, injection, like almost like a steroid in terms of um, creating uh, the overall level of, of talent that we see. So, yeah, I think, I think the windshield is sort of a, you know, it, it, you, can, you can paste and, and, and direct yourself in different ways. And I know in some kind of systemic ways, there was a, a, a situation I ran into recently, some, some green berets. There was a troop that was having trouble with, they wanted their guys to become better communicators. So they sent them to hang out with the corner offices of General Electric and watched people give speeches and, and manage meetings and have tough conversations. And they just sort of filled their windshield with these brilliant communicators. And that really helped, you know, they sort of could add a model in their head of, of, uh, of how to communicate better. And we're filled with these kind of you know, hugely motivating examples of brilliant, of elite communicators. So, um, so yeah, I think it is a, a resource that I think can be, can be messed with, um, at the most basic Bruce Springsteen level. That's tough. <laughs> it's rare. You know, if that happens to you, way to go. If that happens to your kid, you should definitely notice it. Um, yeah. but, um, the challenge I think to most, sort of our in our mundane lives that we live is more like how do we keep renewing that and how do we you know design our windshield a little bit so we're taking time to really stare at the people we want to stare at yeah i guess in a lot of ways this podcast provides a windshield yeah totally right why do people tune in i mean that's the reason i think it's one of the reasons obviously um the brilliant conversation we're having of course being the other (laughs) What about the education piece? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it makes you look at education a different way. I mean, you know, let's, if we pull the camera back on education, you know, this sort of factory model that we have now where, where kids go in a room and listen to someone talk for an hour and then go in another room and listen to someone else talk for an hour and take notes um, is fairly recent. You know, if we wanted to go back to the question of how did the Renaissance painters get to be so good, what we'd find is that they weren't taking classes on oil painting and they were listening to someone talk about oil painting. They built up this tremendous skateboard park basically of, um, where they, where there were apprentices at a, at a pretty young age who were not sort of learning theory, but who were actually grinding the pigments, actually harvesting the eggs for the different, uh, paints and learning by copying. And each of them really had their windshield filled with a mentor uh, and the stakes were not just sort of to learn for learning's sake, but they were, we got to get this, this contract done or we're going to lose this job. Um, you had super urgent, high modeling, high repetition apprenticeships, which is when we all, you know, if, if you reflect and if I reflect on, on moments in life where we really learned something, where we really improved, um, Chances are we don't reflect back on some lecture we heard or some, you know, some, some class we took. You know, this class may have added insight and helped us think about it, think about things in different ways. But if we're talking about adding skill, um, an apprenticeship, a mentor, those sorts of things, those sorts of learning ecosystems, if we can call them that, are a thousand times more powerful. And, and the reason isn't sort of a, a theoretical reason. The reason is sort of literally what's happening in your brain in those situations yeah, there's an MIT study recently where they wired up kids at a lecture and it was sort of close to flatline. You know, there wasn't much happening, right? You don't learn by listening. Um, with all due respect to this podcast and all <laughs> its listeners, you don't get better by listening. You get better by doing stuff. 
yeah. and struggling at it and go working toward a model of what you want to do um, and, and filling your windshield with that model and, and putting in intense struggling effort over and over again. And there's been some really interesting efforts in education to sort of flip the classroom, um, which is really an interesting idea, um, which sort of instead of listening to the lecture during class, they listen to it at home. Mm-hmm. Where they can rewind the lecture, get maximum understanding, watch it over and over again. And then when we get to class, they start doing the reps. You know, they start either trying to, um, you know, take apart the sentence or do the math problem. And then the teacher circulates and offers kind of pointed, um, individualized coaching to each kid as they struggle. So they're not struggling at home. They're struggling with the teacher. And, and they're able to um, learn faster as a result. So it's an exciting time in education, I think, in a lot of ways. But we're also... Um, kind of operating out of this this model that is, um, you know, frankly, isn't that great? Yeah. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, uh, I think that makes a perfect setup to to talk about what I really want to spend the bulk of our time focusing on, which is this idea of the talent code and, and what drives world class performance, the framework for it. And you know, I think the the bigger question that is probably on every everybody's mind is how is it accessible to me? Yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting to think about it that way because it's 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 accessible. Um, you're already, people are already sort of doing it. I think it's more a question of identifying it and seeing it clearly than it is providing some, some bit of news. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, when we, if, if we were to distill it into you know, a, a sort of a quick phrase, um, it would be struggle makes you smarter. You know, learning has a velocity. Learning has got, you know, learning does not sort of, learning is not all created equal. Um, and there's a, there's a story that sort of brings us home that I tell in the, in the pages of the book. And it starts with this, this girl named Clarissa. And she's part of this incredible study where they tracked her musical practice. She plays a clarinet. They track her musical practice for like 15 years. So for 15 years, they are videotaping her practice and seeing where she progresses the most, right? I mean, and so in the course of this one clip of tape, she plays two songs. And the first song she plays is the Blue Danube. And she plays it straight through. She makes a few mistakes. It's like, you know, bum, 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 bum. She makes a few mistakes. She plays it. And the guy who did the study, this guy, Gary McPherson, um, says like, there's zero learning happening here. She's in the, this is very extremely shallow. Um, learning is going on. She's not attending to her mistakes. She's not feeling them. And then she plays another song. It's a very short jazz riff called The Golden Wedding. And it starts with like, and she plays it and she plays a few notes and she makes a mistake and she feels that mistake. Like you can almost, it's like electricity is being shot through the keys of the clarinet. Like she almost drops it and she feels that. She's like, ah. And then she takes the clarinet out of her mouth and she um, looks at the notes and hums them. And then she fingers the keys slowly and then more quickly along with playing the right notes, but not actually blowing the notes. She's isolating each of the skills. She's keenly attending to when she makes a mistake and when she fixes it. She's feeling that mistake. And her learning velocity goes up 10 times during that five minutes. In five minutes, she accomplishes more learning than she would in a month of practicing the other way. So this slight change in in effort and attention changes what's happening in her brain entirely 
she starts to make new connections and she starts to hone those connections to make them work better. And those mistakes, here's the kind of, you know, thing to think about those mistakes that she's making when she plays the golden wedding aren't really mistakes. They are sort of, they're mileposts. They're, they're tools she's using to get to the solution. If she didn't make the mistake, if she didn't pay attention to the mistake, she wouldn't know how to make the right move. So that struggle is, is literally making her smarter. You know, that struggle, we typically interpret struggle as being a negative. You know, we typically, it's embarrassing. It's, 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 uh, it's difficult. Uh, it's painful um, to struggle on the edge of your ability. Now, notice that she's not struggling like way past her ability. She's not just like thrashing around hoping to hit one right note out of 10. She's, she's on the edge. She's like getting 60, 70, 80% of the notes and feeling that 20 or 30% she's not making. That is what you call the sweet spot. And that's where learning happens. And it's funny they call it the sweet spot because it feels pretty sour. You know, it feels crappy to be there. Um, but she operates there and her learning velocity goes up 10 times. And it's, it's this painful, intense spot to be. Um, but the benefits are massive. And every talent hop that I visited in, for the book, I would see that same pattern and that same painful moment. And it's kind of funny. A good, a good way to think of it is to draw the connection to our physical world, to, to how we get in better shape, mm-hmm. our muscles, right? We've known for since aer- aerobics was invented in the 70s, and that's when we realized no pain, no gain. Feel the burn. We reinterpreted that burn culturally as a positive thing. Before that, that burn was to be avoided. Like people who ran marathons were kind of thought of as nuts. And But when we really started to connect, okay, wait a minute, there's huge physical benefits to spending short bits of time in this really uncomfortable place. That changed the culture of physical fitness. That hasn't happened with cognitive fitness. That hasn't happened with skill yet. We still tend to interpret those intense moments of struggle as a negative when in fact they are this huge positive. And you, by spending just, as Clarissa shows, a few minutes in that zone, in that sweet spot, you can massively change outcomes. You can massively change benefits. You know, and, and, and when you sort of start to connect the dots, where are the Clarissa moments in education? Where are they in sports? You start to see the power of that moment because our brain doesn't really care what it learns. Our brain learns according to the same principles. It doesn't know. Our brain doesn't know if it's learning piano or learning algebra. This is just how it's built to grow and adapt. And when we, set, when we struggle, we send that brain a powerful signal. Okay, you need to grow in this area. This is going to be where we're going to have some compensation. Um, and, and just to pick another example out of the education since we were talking yeah. about that, like if, if there's a test tomorrow and we had a chapter to learn, would it be smarter? Here's a quiz. A, to read that chapter four times and highlight it four times in a row, read it over four times in a row, or B, to read it once and then close the book, get a blank sheet of paper and generate the main points of that. Definitely the second Definitely a second. And it's not, not even a contest. It's like 100% more effective. It takes less time, actually, to, mm-hmm. than to read it four times in a row. And when you regenerate, you're not going to get them all right. Like, you're going to struggle. You're going you're gonna to have trouble remembering the third chapter heading or whatever. Um, but that struggle will improve your grade on the test a lot. So once we kind of understand this, much like it has, much like we've started to understood in the, in, in, in the physical world, that when we go to a health club, we're not supposed to be lifting you know, half a pound, you should lift something that makes your muscles burn. Yeah. Once we sort of understand and take that idea, uh, into other, into other domains, that's where you can sort of start to get a degree of control 
mm-hmm. over the process um, and control over the types of environments that you create for you know for students or for business people or for anybody. Yeah, <clears throat> that raises a lot of questions for me. Uh, one is why we see such a variation in levels of human performance. Like, why do we have the outliers of the world? Uh, when we kind of can say, okay, we've dissected human performance, we kind of understand what it takes, and yet the results vary across the board so drastically that it's just, to me, you know, I always use the analogy of a developing country for this. Um, You know, you have like the upper echelon, and then it seems like nobody in between, really. Right, right. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, in, in, in some ways that's very true. In some ways, you know, it depends, it depends on how, how, what lens you look through. But the, re- the other reason, now that we understand how it works, it doesn't make it any easier yeah. to do that. You know, to spend however thousand hours you want to spend in that sweet spot, which is really a hard place to be, requires um, certain levels of ignition, which, as we've already talked about, are hard to predict and, and it's kind of individualized. One way to sort of look at this question is to, is to look at who the best singers in families are. It's a weird way to look at it, but uh, if you look either at sort of sprinters, um, who's the, who's the fastest runner in a family or who's the best singer in a family, like look at the Jacksons, like who's the best singer in the Jacksons, Michael, it's not Tito, right? It's right. Michael. Who's the best singer in the Jonas's? It's, I don't even know who the Jonas's are, but it's the youngest <laughs> one, I think. Uh, and, and same with the Osmonds, you know, um, if you look at runners, if you look at, um, people who tend to steal bases in baseball, they're all younger. I did the fastest runners in the world and they averaged four of five kids that were not a firstborn in the bunch. Why is that? You know, the firstborns had all the same genes, you know, they had all the same opportunity. Um, but what they didn't have was this wonderful environment of tons of models and their windshield was packed with those sorts of things. So that creates a certain amount of just variation, right? You know, of, of incredible, um, you know, variation because the environment, because the environment is different. It doesn't mean you can't sort of re-engineer the environment Mm -hmm. to do that, but some of the variation is just built into the human experience. Yeah. It's interesting because I I think about the the upbringing that my sister and I had and, you know, both of us had very similar upbringings, but I mean, drastically different lives in terms of what we chose to do, uh, both career wise and in terms of of grades at school. I, I couldn't help but think when you said that, I'm like, I remember telling my sister, I'm like, this is what I screwed up freshman year at Berkeley, by the way, here's how you front load your entire freshman semester. So you end up with like a super high GPA at the very beginning. And I was like, nobody was there to tell me that. Yep. Yep. You're, you're Michael or she's Michael. Actually, she gets to learn from, from Tito, right? (laughs) It's, it's it's true. And that opportunity and, and other things like, you know, kids tend to go different directions to kind of occupy different niches in the, in the environment. You know, they're going to get, because if your, if your sister goes one direction, you might go the other way. And, you know, and, and also the people around us are getting better. You know, by the time Mozart came along, his father was a much better teacher because he had done all his teaching with his sister. Right. You know, and his sister wasn't that great, but he used her to kind of figure it out. All right. Now I'm going to now I'm going to go to town. Right. Same with Richard Williams and his and his kids. Same with Tiger Woods and his dad. Like, you know, these patterns keep repeating um, and they're not, you know, totally predictable, but they are super interesting and partially controllable. Hmm. I want to ask you a question, especially from your perspective, having done the work that you have, that I have asked a handful of people. um, You know, the venture capitalist Chris Saka says that when he invests in entrepreneurs, especially the ones that have had wild success, like the founders of Instagram, and he said this in 
damn near every interview I've ever heard him give. Um, he says that every one of them believes that their success is inevitable. And the question that I have you know, asked numerous people is whether that is something that is learned or that is just something naturally part of certain people. Wow, that's a great, that's a great question. I, I would say it's, I would say it's both. I would say to some degree, some of these, you know, kind of emotional stability, sense of sense of identity, big ego stuff is clearly, um, you know, driven by genes, partly by genes, mm. but it's also created by a sort of circumstance um, and B, sort of the, the people and mentors around us. You know, one of the more interesting sort of connections to that that I can think of is the um, percentage of high achievers, especially in the political world, who are orphans. Orphaned before specifically the age of 12. Um, when you look at that list, it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. And the, the, I forget the exact number, but it's like they're 1,300% more likely to be an orphan or something like that. Um, if you're to be a president of the country or to be included in a, uh, a list of eminent people. And it is – why is that? Like why is – why do they have that that kind of, you know, that, that strength of motivation, strength of character? And you could say because they got a signal pretty early on that the world is not a safe place. You know, it's not a safe place. You're going to need to work really hard to get what you – what you want and you need, may need to develop a certain sense of inevitability uh, in yourself. You know, another pattern in this area is kind of the mothers. The mothers a lot of, of a lot of high-achieving people were incredibly indulgent mothers, um, not necessarily the strictest, but people who put the kid in the apple of their eye and supported them and had unusually close bonds with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that sort of can create a sense of inevitability, a sense of that I, I can do this because I'm me. Period, um, which can, uh, which if if it gets out of which which you know kind of in an appropriate environment can can be incredibly productive. It can also be incredibly dysfunctional, hmm. as we've seen in in the entrepreneurial world at times. Right? I mean, you know, it's not a, it's not really um, you know a bunch of super well balanced Boy Scouts who are out there making it happen. You know, it's it's people who are kind of on the on the edge of the of the of what's acceptable. Yeah, that actually poses uh, another question. You're talking about the struggle and the ability to struggle and why we grow during struggles. And, you know, um, I look at this, you know, there's a lot of people about the role that mental illness plays in all of these, like depression and anxiety, because to me, I mean, that seems like it's inevitably part of the struggle. But then there are certain people who come out of the struggle, and I'm wondering if the capacity to handle that struggle uh, with resilience and with grit uh, is something that, is just a byproduct of the environments that you're put in. Uh, and you know, what are the patterns that you noticed when it comes to the struggle and, and like, you know, the struggle on a much grander scale than struggling with just screwing up a measure in a piece of music. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think it's true. I think, I think it's, um, it's a fascinating link and there's a few, it's a couple of really good books, madness and genius, I think is one of them that really attempts to, you know, create a model around that. And, and the link between that is unmistakable and, because this Bruce Springsteen's on my mind, I was he's he's had this huge history of sort of being quasi depressed a lot, you know, and, and he's this guy who's, who's, who struggles with that. Have clearly informed his his music and his greatness and his persistence mm-hmm. at this. And it's it's easy to, I think maybe that 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 word persistence might be a word that sort of links those two those two areas because you know the, the people that end up 
um, sort of, you know, wrestling with something as profound as that every day, um, end up sort of building pretty big emotional reserves for other sorts of wrestling matches. Um, and you, you see it, you know, both in, on the kind of, on the mental side with somebody like Springsteen or even Billy Joel has had a similar sort of arc. Um, and you see it on the physical side, people have struggled with, you know, physical problems like FDR, um, Wilma Rudolph, um, to pick an example from sports, um, where that, that struggle has had this sort of, you know, multiple effect. It's sort of made them an outsider. It's made them incredibly persistent. It's put things in perspective. Um, and it's, it's, you know, sort of given them the, the opportunity to build, uh, on whatever grit they may have been, you know, they may have possessed in the beginning. Do you think this is something that can be learned and developed later in life? Or do you think that if we get to a certain age, we're just kind of beyond the the point at which we could achieve mastery at this level? Because, you know, when you look at 10,000 hours and I think to myself, I'm like, wow, what a waste of time I had in high school, just screwing around doing nothing when I could have been practicing something for 10,000 hours. <laughs> well, to, to pull the camera back for a second, I mean, if, when, when parents hear of 10,000 hours, the first thing they do is like, send their kid to a factory of right? <laughs> like that's, that's the initial parental response. Like, Oh my God, you have to specialize. Um, which is ironically like exactly the wrong thing to do when you look, I mean, when you look across sort of high performers, a lot of them had a huge variety of stuff they did yeah. as a kid. And all that variety helps build a pyramid of, of connections, skill, um, a certain amount of fluidity to go between things. Um, and this happens quite literally in athletes where they look at the top performing athletes and they all have these very diverse backgrounds where they're sort of building a foundation on which they can layer on some sort of highly specialized stuff later on. But I think it, it also cuts across other, other domains as well. But to get back to your question of, can you, can you learn it later in life? Or are we just kind of, kind of stuck? I mean, that was one of the more sort of encouraging areas that I had in talking to um, some of the scientists, uh, you know, all of them show that a lot of these mechanisms um, still apply. It takes more reps. It takes a little more struggle. Um, and clearly there are these, you know, sort of golden development windows for language and for other things that, you know, you're not going to take up the violin at, at 25 and, and play in a symphony orchestra. That's, that's not going to happen. The developmental window is probably past in terms of your ear, in terms of your fine motor skills. Um, but can you get really, really good? Yeah, you can. You can. It takes more reps. There's a great book by Gary Marcus um, called Guitar Zero, where he chronicles his attempts to, um, you know, become proficient uh, at the guitar at, at age, you know, 45 or whatever it is. Um, that sort of attacks sort of this. There's a guy trying to, you know, he took up golf late and he's trying to make the PGA Tour. I think it's called the Dan Plan. He's also um, improving pretty, pretty astonishingly. Are either of these guys going to make it to the very, very top of their profession? No. Yeah. Probably not. Are they going to be really, really good? You know, are they going to be, is he going to be a scratch golfer? And is Gary Marcus going to be able to rip a solo to impress the hell out of his family at a family reunion? Yes. <laughs> so it kind of depends on, you know, what your, you know, what your map, uh, you know, what your goal is. And um, I think for, for most of us and where we're mostly at, we're mostly on the zone of like, I need to get a, 
really good. I don't need to become world class, but I'd really like to be really good at this. And and that is still possible at a relatively advanced stage. It's interesting to hear you say that because I'm an avid surfer. And uh, I think I think about people like Laird Hamilton and some of the guys who surf bonsai pipeline. And, yep. you know, my, my buddy Brian and I look at that I'm like, yeah, we're never going to do that shit. That looks <laughs> that would be a suicide mission for us. Uh, but you kind of realize you're like, okay, wait a minute. Laird has been in the water since he was, you know, four years old. That's right. That's right. You're not going to catch that, but you can get really good. You, 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 you'd probably surprise yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's really, and you definitely would surprise yourself if you devoted yourself to it. So that raises the question of how do you take all of this and, and make it much more tangible to immediately begin impacting our lives? I mean, I, I think about it from the lens of, of interviewing as my craft. And, you know, after 700 of these, I realize I've probably done a lot of what you've said without consciously being aware of it. Yep. Yep. Well, so the question becomes, let's just turn this on you a little bit and say, what could you have done from the interview number one to make the most of each learning experience? And I would say... You know, I'd be curious to hear your answer to that. But if I were to take this model and sort of put it on there, I think it would come down to you would have intently studied the best people you could find. And by studying, I mean, you know, literally trying to emulate them and writing down um, different techniques and methods that they use. And then you would have, after each interview, you would have tried to measure the distance between you and them uh, through reflection and see, honestly, what did I do well? honestly, where did I fall short after each rep, almost like you're in a skateboard park and they do a trick and you try that same trick and you say, you look at the videotape and you say, where did I, where did I hit it and where did I miss it? And you do that every, you loop that every single time you do an interview and is it tedious? Is it repetitive? Totally. It it is. But you know what? Repetition and tedium has a bad reputation in our, uh, in our society. It's pretty, repetition is pretty powerful, especially when in this case, it wouldn't actually be repetition. You'd be doing something slightly different each time and it'd be easy to become absorbed. Um, and, and to improve, you know, you're an incredible interviewer. Um, and clearly you've, you've taken a lot of these lessons to heart and clearly you reflect on this a lot. Um, so is it, is it, is it possible that you could have improved even faster? I'd say maybe, Maybe it would be possible. Yeah. It's always been interesting to, to look at kind of I, – I, the one thing I wish I could do is find a way to get a brain scan of when we started running the show and what it's like after. I've always been curious as to what it must look like after all these conversations. Well, it's interesting. I, mean, I, I asked that question to um, this guy, Dr. Douglas Fields, that I visited for my book, and he showed me this picture of myelin. Mm. We, we probably remember myelin from a myelin sheath in our biology class, M-Y-E-L-I-N. And it's, it's looks like it was, he showed me a cross section of a neuron and it was myelin is the stuff that's wrapping it like electrical tape. And its function is exactly, it it exists because it's an insulation. The same reason we wrap the cords of the computer we're talking on, um, to stop that signal from leaking out. And Dr. Field started to explain to me, um, when you do a lot of intensive reps, when you operate in kind of what I would call deep practice, you actually grow thicker and thicker layers of myelin on the circuitry on which you're practicing. I mean, they have done scans, actually, of people after 200 hours of piano practice and 500 hours of piano practice. And the myelin growth in those areas of the brain is proportional to the time they spend practicing. So every hour you did your intensive interviewing and your learning and your struggling, you would have been adding layers of myelin to those circuitry, that circuitry of your brain, which makes it run faster and better. And, and as Dr. Fields explained, that myelin is like broadband. 
It's like you're building broadband through struggle and by, by falling short and by um, reaching again. So you're reaching, failing, reaching, and each time you earn a little bit more and a, a little thicker layer and the signal speed goes up, that's just sort of some basic electrical engineering. The thicker the layer, the faster the signal. Um, and the difference isn't small. Uh, when there's no myelin, the signal goes two miles an hour. When there's 50 layers of myelin, it goes 200 miles an hour. So you're going from goat pads in your brain to like, like bullet train. And that's why you're better and faster because if we were to scan your brain, we'd find a lot more of that along the pathways you're using right now. Wow, that's really interesting. It makes me even think of the the writing practice that I have of writing a thousand words a day. I figure I'm like, okay, that's got to be doing something too. Huge, huge, right? I mean, you know, every and you the the nice thing about that the model, I think, is that you're sort of earning it, you know, and it, and it gives repetition, and you know. I think Aristotle said, you know, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. Mm. And that's extremely powerful. I mean, he didn't know about myelin or, or about sort of the neurology of learning, but that's exactly what he's talking about. It. You are what you repeatedly do. Not what you do once or twice, but what you repeatedly do. Well, uh, this has been really cool. Uh, really kind of an eye-opening look into talent. And uh, I'd love the fact that it wasn't entirely prescriptive, but more story-based, uh, which was, was different than I expected it would be. So I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all our interviews. Cool. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Wow. Unmistakable. I think it's the way they think. I think it's the way they think. I, th- I think you can, you know, it's possible in this day and age to kind of replicate a lot of things about a person or, or, or something they bring. Um, but the way they tackle a problem is tends to be what I find memorable and valuable about somebody. Cause when you think about a problem, I find myself thinking, man, what would so-and-so think? How would they react to this? And I think that's what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm looking for that lens, that unique lens, that unique problem solving lens that they can put on it. And, uh, and to me, that's the most kind of, you know, valuable asset that anybody can bring to, uh, to any relationship. Awesome. Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and uh, your insights with our listeners. I think they're going to really enjoy this. My pleasure. It's been, it's been a blast. And, um, yeah, let me know if I can ever help again. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that next week on the unmistakable creative. Yeah, of course. There's a, there's a great body of research on this uh, that Robert Eisenberger spearheaded more than two decades ago uh, on what's called learned industriousness, which is literally like the acquired capacity for self-discipline and willpower. Um, we know now that you know, a lot of discipline seems to be like a muscle where you work it initially and then it tears, but then it builds itself up. And you know, I think a lot of learning discipline is starting by experiencing flow and getting so fascinated by something that you fall into this, you know, like I'm in the zone moment where you lose track of time, you don't notice your surroundings and pretty soon hours have gone by. And for me, you know, I guess learning, learning discipline was a lot of saying, I need to get good enough that I can get into flow in this task. Wharton professor and author Adam Grant joins us to talk about his new book, Originals, How Nonconformists Move the World. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? (laughs) 
Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.